Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Bayou City Tomball. Uh, it's a real joy to be with each of you here today. My name is Cole Ellerbrock, and I am the community, community groups director uh, here on staff. If it's your first time here, I would love to just give you a special welcome. We're really, really glad you're here. And uh, I would love the opportunity to get to meet you uh, at the end of the service. I also want to wish uh, each of you a very happy Thanksgiving. It's a great week uh, for celebrating. I hope this is uh, a week filled with lots of food uh, and football and even more food. Uh, For the first time in my family's history, uh, I am in charge of the turkey this year. So you can say a prayer uh, for my family and their tummies. Uh, Well, like I said, my name is Cole Ellerbrock, and I joined the Bayou City staff at the end of this summer, and I have just absolutely loved getting to be a part of this uh, community. To just tell you a little bit more about me, uh, I am married uh, to my wife, Alyssa. I believe we've got a picture up on the screen. Uh, She is a family medicine doctor at Conroe Regional Hospital, and we were actually out this past Sunday because we were celebrating our third anniversary, uh, which was very fun. And then we also have to just mention this. We have a two-year-old dog named Penny uh, who's a golden retriever. And uh, if we're honest, uh, she's the one that just really runs things in the house. But in our teaching time, uh, if you have been journeying with us, we've been studying the book of Acts. And today we're going to continue in Acts chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there or the words will be on the screen. I'm going to read our passage for the day and then we'll pray and jump in. This is Acts 11, starting in verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And so Barnabas, he then went to Tarsus and found Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined, everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. If you would, let's pray. Father, we are here now, and we are thankful for your word. And I pray that over these next few moments that you would make the scriptures, what you've done through in the book of Acts, that you would make that just come alive in us, and you would give us a burning passion uh, for you and to see your name glorified, Lord. And so we are here uh, with our hands open, our hearts open, 
uh, desiring to just be molded and shaped by your word, uh, being here in complete surrender uh, to you and what you want to work in our lives. That's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, for a long time, I hated running. Uh, Maybe you have been there before, or maybe those are your thoughts towards running right now. Uh, For most of my life, I preferred things that were fun, uh, like not running. And then one day, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, Alyssa, said, hey, we should go for a run sometime. And we were kind of in that phase of dating where I wasn't quite ready to like share my true opinion or my thoughts. And so I just kind of wanted to, you know, physically impress her, that sort of thing. So say, yeah, sure, let's go running. Uh, And for me, to be honest, it had been a little while. Uh, And so we go running and Alyssa is a longtime soccer player, very good runner. And this run was, uh, we'll just say a reality check uh, for me and my pride. And so time goes on, and we get married, and Alyssa says, hey, we should do a half marathon together. It'll be fun. So I say, okay, uh, but you're going to have to help me out. You're going to have to start at my level, and then we'll kind of work our way up from there. So we start training, and by the end of those early runs, I was just completely breathless, and my clothes were like I just stood under a waterfall. And Alyssa, I'd look over at her, and there would just be like not a drop of sweat, totally calm, like, yeah, let's just keep going. You know, I'm just happy as a clam. How about we keep running? Uh, But in our training, one of the things that I noticed was that when I would go and run solo, those runs would go much worse than when I was running with a partner. Going alone, you start to think about the pain and how much better it would be uh, to be doing literally anything else, like eating or sitting, those types of things. But when I would run with her, it kept me focused on the goal. She would often be a little bit out ahead of me, and I would have to catch up to remain on her pace, and the runs would be very successful. Uh, Then we get to half marathon day, and I don't know if you've uh, done longer runs, and this doesn't even compare to full marathoners, uh, but on uh, longer runs, you have some kind of emotional lows, and you go through some emotional highs as well. And so the race is going great, and then we get to mile 12, and at mile 12, with one mile to go, something changed. Uh, I felt goosebumps uh, come over me, and my chin started to do that wiggling thing that happens like right before you cry, and I just started bawling in the middle of the race. You know, I like to think there were some people kind of, you know, helping out on the race on the sidewalk, watching this grown man crying while running and being like, yep, that's why I don't run. There's literally a grown man crying while he's running and trying to catch his breath. Uh, But as we were approaching the finish line, I just got really overwhelmed with emotion, uh, thinking about the journey that it took to get to this point and how someone who I cared about guided me towards success and this achievement. You see, I needed an example to follow, someone who was out in front of me uh, who knew the craft, and who would help uh, meet me and accept me where I was at and would encourage me to keep going and kept me committed to the goal. And we all need someone like that in our lives who can do that for us. When we have an example to follow of someone who has lived well, who in our specific context has run their race with Jesus well, it gives us a path forward 
of how we can make the most of our days and not waste this life that we've been given. And so this morning, we're going to sit under the mentorship of a man named Barnabas, who really ran his race well and is a fantastic model of godliness. And I believe that walking in his footsteps would really do us well. If you remember last week in chapter 10, we learned about this vision that God gave Peter, where these barriers with Gentiles would be broken. That the love of God, it's so strong that it can break down even the greatest of barriers and conflicts uh, between us. And because of the great love and care of God, this eternal life in Jesus, Peter recognized, is available for all men, all women, all children. And of all backgrounds, all cultures, all races can now come together with divisions and barriers broken down and be this one new family under Jesus who experiences the eternal life together. And so in today's passage, chapter 11, we're going to see this new multi-ethnic community at work and how this church in a town called Antioch, who under Barnabas' leadership, is going to go change the world. And you know, one of the things that I admire about Barnabas is that he was, truthfully, just an ordinary man. Uh, he was like you and me. He's not really mentioned as having performing great miracles. He's not really at the top of the list of spiritual heroes in the Bible. You know, if you're picking a kickball team of great biblical players, he's probably not your number one draft pick. But Barnabas lived by a certain code. And his code was to be completely surrendered to the will of God. He lived his life with open hands, whose yes was on the table to whatever God called him to. And we're going to see this play out in three ways in his leadership. We're going to see that Barnabas is accepting to the outsider, that he's encouraging to the family, and finally, that he's committed to the mission. So first, Barnabas is accepting to the outsider. In verse 19 through 23, if you look back, it says this, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And they spoke the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. So you have these believers who are being driven out to new regions as a result of the persecution they were facing for their faith and their boldness in Christ. And some of them were choosing to only spread the gospel to native Jews, thinking it was just for them. But then you have others who share the life and message of Christ with outsiders, the Greeks. So you have people claiming to be uh, believers in Antioch of different backgrounds and cultures. And so the leaders of the Jerusalem church, they say, hey, we got to go check this out. We got to go make sure everyone's getting along and playing nice over there in Antioch. And so they choose to send Barnabas. And a lot of scholars think that uh, this sending of Barnabas by the Jerusalem church, uh, it really came with a note of caution, uh, if you will. 
Antioch was a pretty immoral place. Uh, it was often associated with things like idol worship and sexual immorality and prostitution. And so from Jerusalem's viewpoint, they're thinking, hey, we've got a bunch of random people that we don't know sharing the gospel with some idol-worshiping, sexually immoral pagans, and now they're coming together as a church. Barnabas, you got to go check this out and try and get things under control up there in Antioch. But what some saw as a negative, Barnabas saw this through the lens of Christ. If you look at that last line, verse 23, it says, Barnabas came to Antioch and he saw the grace of God at work and he was glad. Barnabas arrives and he sees this gospel message, the grace of God at work in the hearts of people who were far from God, and he rejoices. He welcomes the fact that these outsiders are being brought in to the family of God. And I think, you know, it's really possible that if the Jerusalem church sent someone else besides Barnabas to go check out Antioch, they would have just grumbled and complained. Look at these Jewish believers intermingling with these outsiders, these pagans. They're just going to dilute the message. It's going to hurt the church. They could have had a very legalistic approach. But Barnabas knew that Jesus runs a kingdom where grace reigns supreme, where the outsider is brought near, where the grace of God is for all people, no matter what they have done, no matter their background, no matter their culture, where all are invited to the table. He's really living out the truth of Ephesians 2.13, which says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, it's amazing. Uh, when you look at the book of Acts, you see this kind of parallel between uh, the book of Acts and the Gospels. In the Gospels, you see Jesus uh, teaching and leading and performing miracles. And then in Acts, you now see by the power of the Spirit, uh, the disciples doing those same things. Leading, teaching, performing miracles. Living out the ways of Jesus. And so Barnabas' acceptance to those who are different, who are outcasts to the Jews, he does that because Jesus was accepting and to those who are outcasts. And he recognized that the same spirit who was at work in the life and ministry of Jesus is now at work in the life and ministry of him, of Barnabas. And guess what? The beauty is, is that that same spirit is at work in, in you, and in me. And look, for Barnabas, stepping into something that was new, this bringing together of Jew and Gentile, it wasn't going to be easy. I think we can all agree change is difficult. Uh, it's risky. It was going to take some courage to provide some leadership for him and for this church. Uh, this church now has different backgrounds and viewpoints and ideas. And I think for many of us, we can kind of face that same struggle having empathy for those on the outside or for things that are different or new can be really hard. Uh, this past week when I was studying, I came across uh, this letter uh, that was written because uh, one of the biggest changes that was going on in the 1800s uh, in America was the building of railroads. So railroads were starting to be built around the country 
And this new idea of a quicker transportation of goods was met with a little bit of pushback. Uh, Here's a letter that was written to President Andrew Jackson on January 31st, 1829. It says this. It says, as you may well know, Mr. President, these railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines, which in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, they roar and they snort their way through the countryside. They set fire to crops. They scare the livestock. And here's the kicker. They frighten women and children. Uh, The Almighty, let's see what the Lord has to say about this. He certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. The writer of this letter uh, was a guy named Martin Van Buren, who was the next president of the United States. So a true uh, forward thinker he was, uh, Marty Van Buren, a real visionary. Uh, well, it's funny, you know, to kind of think about this letter, but if we think about this idea of being reluctant to acceptance and to change, if we think about this in the context of people, it's important for us to recognize that a lack of acceptance for those who are different than us, who maybe have different viewpoints than us, if we turn away from those who seem far from God, that can really hurt our witness. We are called to be a people who lead a different kind of community than anything else in the world. Uh, We as the church, we are empathetic and loving to those who are different from us. We are a family who looks out for those who are wrung out on life. We look out for those who are overlooked or underserved or who are vulnerable. And we bring them into a family of love and care. Because it represents the heart of our king. Because you see, we are all outsiders. We are all people who have been far from God. Caught up in sin, undeserving of anything from God. Uh, But the beauty of our king is that he drew near to us. He took on flesh and came to us and through his death, In his resurrection, he brings us into his family of love and acceptance. And he's now building this family that is to be like a a mosaic where pieces of all different backgrounds and experiences and ethnicities come together as one new beautiful picture. And that's the message that Barnabas is living out. He's accepting to the outsider. And secondly, he's encouraging to the family. If you look at verses 23 and 24, it says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas, he sees this work of God that he's doing, and he he sees people's hearts being transformed in Antioch, and he's sitting there rejoicing, saying, yes, the grace of God is at work here, and I just want to encourage these men and women to keep going. Keep walking with Jesus. I love what you're doing. You guys are awesome. Keep following him. Remain steadfast. And this is Barnabas really just living up to his reputation Uh, We're first introduced to him in Acts 4, verse 36, uh, where uh, it says this. It says, thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, so Barnabas is is Joseph's nickname, 
Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, and he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas' nickname was son of encouragement. Not a bad name to be given, right? There's definitely some worse ones out there. Uh, But he was known for his encouragement. And Acts 11 says he was also full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And I think this hits on a huge truth for us, which is that when the Spirit of God grabs a hold of our hearts and starts working in us, it's to produce in us a love and encouragement for the family of God. Uh, The people who belong to Jesus are to have a love for one another, not torn apart by minor details or differences of opinion, but to have a posture of love and service and encouragement. And look, you know, we live in a culture today uh, that is constantly just sort of torn up with division. Society often wants us to turn into an us versus them kind of world where outrage is the highest virtue and not things like grace and truth. Our social medias are filled with this. Our news outlets are filled with this. And unfortunately, far too often, this kind of division can infiltrate the body of Christ. We lose sight of encouragement and instead fix our eyes on criticism of maybe one's political leanings or current events or worship music preferences. And the church can start to look more and more like what society at large wants us to look like as opposed to the unique bride of Christ, which is, where, which is a family that builds one another up. Uh, so a question I think that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, what are you known for uh, within the body of Christ? Barnabas was the son of encouragement. Are you known as someone who is here that serves and builds one another up, that offers words and actions that point others to the truths and grace of Jesus? Or do you maybe have a tendency to be filled with criticism and look just towards the faults in the church and the faults of its people and what everyone else is doing wrong? I hope we are a place that's filled with people like Barnabas. Because look, discipleship to Jesus is difficult. It's not always easy. Uh, Life is hard. I think we all know that. Eugene Peterson, he describes discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. It's a marathon. And in marathons, you have some high highs and you have some low lows. And we need people who are in our corner uh, who can cheer us on and who can remind us of the joy that we find in Jesus and who can keep us moving forward. Uh, I had a time in my life recently where I was in some real need of encouragement. Uh, This past May, my wife and I went for a week-long road cycling tour through the national parks of Utah. It was a very fun trip. Uh, We rode through some beautiful places like Bryce Canyon and Zion National Park. Uh, We get to the last day, and over the course of this week, we had ridden about 200 miles. And I get to literally mile 199, and I come up on the intersection, I'm riding on, come up on this intersection, I'm riding on the shoulder of a highway, and I hit a patch of gravel, and it takes my bike down, and I crash, and I roll. 
And so we go to the ER and get stitches uh, on my face. And after some x-rays, I find that I have broken both of my arms, which is not something that I would recommend doing, uh, by the way. It makes life a little more difficult, uh, in case you were wondering. Uh, But I had basically shattered my left wrist, and it was going to require a couple surgeries. I'd broken my right elbow. And so for the next six weeks, I was just like this. Like, this was kind of my life. Uh, And honestly, the physical pain aside, the real struggle was mentally and emotionally. I couldn't drive. Uh, My diet was things like smoothies, reaching over, drinking from a straw. Uh, All the things that I liked to do, I couldn't really do anymore. I could watch movies, and I could kind of read from a Kindle. Uh, And i got to be honest, as the weeks wore on, my morale just consistently tanked and tanked and got lower and lower. The adversity, it wore on me. I was angry with myself, and I was angry with God at this ridiculous situation. Uh, But praise be to God, because I had some family members, I had some friends who would come over, who would spend time with me and help take my mind off the things that were hard. Uh, They brought joy and laughter and just fun to a difficult situation. And I understand that's a very rare and extreme example, uh, but that's exactly what we need within the body of Christ. Men and women who encourage one another, who bring laughter, who bring joy in the midst of sorrow, who can bring a word of hope, who express their gratitude to one another and for their church. Uh, We actually have a fun opportunity to practice this encouragement today. In your seat, you should have a Thanksgiving card uh, that says, give thanks on it, followed by a piece of, followed by a uh, scripture. And we left the back of those cards blank uh, on purpose so that you could just write down something or perhaps someone that you are thankful to God for. And so I'd encourage you just sometime now, uh, between now and the end of the service, to write something or maybe someone down as a means to just kind of help remind yourself of what you have been given. But I also encourage you to take that card and maybe take it a little bit of a step further and maybe use that card as a reminder for yourself uh, to maybe tell that specific person how grateful you are for them. It's a great way to practice encouragement. Do that this week over Thanksgiving. And so Barnabas, he's accepting to the outsider. He's encouraging to the family. And finally, he's committed to the mission. If you look at verses 25 through 30, it says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers who were living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. You see, Barnabas was so invested in what God was doing in this city, that he goes, he leaves, he grabs Paul and says, Paul, you have to come see what God is doing in Antioch and you have to come be a part of this. And so they stay there for a year and they're teaching and training people up to be these fully committed disciples 
of Jesus so that they could go be sent out to the world. This is really a just master decision by Barnabas, and I think a great example of the care uh, and sovereignty of God and how he is committed to his mission. Now, let's learn a little bit about Antioch. I think it's helpful. Uh, Antioch, it, it was, this city was just a metropolis uh, at this time. It was the third largest in the Roman world. Uh, it's located right along the Mediterranean Sea, and most people think it had a population of anywhere from five to 800,000 people. And so for this time, it's a massive city, and it really served as this sort of transportation hub or this gateway to pass through uh, to reach other regions. And so because of that, it's also a hub of different cultures that were all intermingling. You have some Romans, you have some Syrians, you have some Jews, and many others. Uh, and then because of its location, and because of the amount of people who were there, and because of the type of people who were in there, it's an incredibly strategic place to expand the gospel message. It's really a launching pad for missionaries, if you will. And so recognizing this, Paul and Barnabas, they remain there for a year, teaching up these men and women in the life and the ways of Jesus so that they could be sent out to go reach the world. Barnabas here, he's like a master coach. I like to think of him as the Jimbo Fisher of the ancient world, if you will. He coaches these people up so that he can then, you know, send them on a post pattern to Italy or a down and out to Asia, right? He's committed to raising these people up spiritually so they can be sent out and do great things. Uh, but his leadership is not just at a spiritual or internal level. He also cares for people's physical or material needs as well. So this guy, Agabus, he comes by and he says there's a famine on the way and it's going to hit Jerusalem and they need your help. So under his and Paul's leadership, they gather these resources together and send over what they need to their brothers over there. And so being committed to the mission of God and spreading his kingdom, it's this building up of people internally and caring for people externally. It's a drive to disciple and also a holding of your goods and resources loosely so they can be used for the good of others. You know, when I look at the life and ministry of Barnabas, this past week, this uh, one word just really kept ringing in my head. And that word is surrender. Barnabas lived a surrendered life. He was fully open to the transforming work of God. He lived with a posture of open hands on his knees and said, God, your will be done in my life. Whatever it takes, no matter the cost, I'm in. When you boil it down, the story of Acts, it's really this group of ordinary men and women who walked in the spirit of God and accomplished something extraordinary. I was reading in Acts 17 this past week, and uh, there's this moment where some Jewish leaders, they see what the people have done in advancing the gospel, and this is the quote. They say, they turned the world upside down. Ordinary people, like Barnabas, and like you, and like me, able to do this because they were totally surrendered to Jesus. Their yes was on the table. 
Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And for these guys, their response was not, you know, well, I've, I've got some other things going on. Life's a little busy right now. Work is crazy. No. It was Jesus, we're in. Yes and amen. It wasn't a question of yes or no. They're just thinking, we're in. Whose car are we going to take? Let's go. So my parting question for you this morning is this. Uh, what is hindering your complete surrender? Maybe for some of us, it's control. Uh, control over people at work or control over your kids or you feel like every decision has to, that you make has to be perfect so you can you know, have this happy life. And I'm very guilty of this one. And for some of us, we need to open up our hands and say, Jesus, I give you my control. I'm going to lean on your understanding, not my own. Uh, maybe for some of us, it's just it's busyness. Uh, our schedules are filled with extracurriculars and commitments, and a lot of them are good things. I'm you know, not saying those are bad. Uh, but is your life so jam-packed right now that there's no space for the king of kings? Uh, do you have some space to abide with him and sit surrendered in his presence and to be in uh, his community, his family? Or maybe your surrender is to be like Barnabas and invest in training up the next generation. That's how the church is built up and grows. And so maybe this uh, could be a time for you to mentor or disciple someone who's younger than you and train them up in the ways of Jesus. Or maybe if you're a little younger, uh, your surrender is to find a mentor, find someone who's willing to train you up in the ways of God, to commit to be disciple and commit to learning from the wisdom and experiences of someone who's ahead of you. Or maybe, and finally, maybe your surrender this week, especially uh, during Thanksgiving, maybe it's just to be an encouragement to your family. Uh, you might be looking forward to Thanksgiving, uh, or you might be dreading it. You know, holidays can uh, be a real source of joy for some, uh, but can also be a real source of stress and hurt for others. And so maybe this is the Thanksgiving uh, where you take the step to reconcile a hurt relationship. Uh, or maybe you have a friend who's mourning this holiday season, and maybe it's their first holiday without a loved one, and you can make the decision to extend care uh, and compassion to that person. I pray that we are a people whose yes is on the table to God, where he so transforms our hearts that we are a group that is accepting to the outsider, that's encouraging to the family, and committed to our mission. So we're going to have a, a time to respond to God in surrender through prayer. I'm going to invite the prayer team and the band. You can go ahead and come forward like we do each week. Uh, the band's going to play, and if you're willing, I'd encourage you to come forward, and I want you to know that our prayer team would love to pray with you. Uh, maybe you want to know more about placing your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. Uh, maybe you're someone who's felt like a bit of an outsider, uh, maybe in relationships or maybe just kind of on the outside of life and you just feel wrung out and life isn't working. 
And you need to know the love and the grace and the invitation that Jesus is offering to you of new life, eternal life with him. Or maybe if you need prayer for healing, uh, maybe physically or emotionally, or for a certain struggle uh, that you can't seem to shake, I want you to know our prayer team is here for that as well. Or maybe just thinking about this week and Thanksgiving, uh, if you need prayer for maybe just how to handle Thanksgiving in a, in a Christ-like way. Uh, the band's gonna play, and we're gonna sing this last song, and if you're willing, I'd encourage you to come join uh, our prayer team, and they would love to pray with you. So if you all would, um, let's close in prayer. Uh, Father, we are just grateful to have a model uh, like Barnabas, who was completely surrendered to you in everything. And God, I pray that we too would be a group of men and women who sit with our hands open, hearts open, just saying, God, your will be done in my life. Take complete control of me. So I want to encourage you, as we sing this last song, if, if you want to, uh, you can sit, you can sit. If you want to have uh, your hands open, it's just kind of a, being in a posture of surrender, you can do that too. But use this song as, as a time to offer up your complete surrender to God. If you want to stand, you can go ahead and stand.